Hello and welcome to Rike's Expat Podcast. This is podcast number 015 and today we're going to talk about the long-term effects of living abroad. Usually most of the conversation and focus when a person is thinking about moving say to the Philippines or anywhere in Southeast Asia, uh, anywhere away from your home country really, and moving abroad permanently, most of the focus is usually placed on, well, what are the new things that will be added to my life? And they think about, let's say, for instance, with Asia, they'll think about different dating opportunities, they'll think about tropical weather, changes in culture, um, just an easier lifestyle, that sort of thing. Those are the things usually we focus on how our life will change for the better or, or just simply be added to our life. But what I wanted to talk about today, and, and I'll largely be sharing with you my personal experiences because I don't believe everybody reacts to long-term living abroad as an expat. I don't believe everybody reacts the same way. We all have different personalities, different priorities. But I wanted to share with you a couple of things, the long-term effects, now that it's been four, over four years here living in the Philippines that uh, has affected me personally, uh, both sort of in a beneficial and maybe a not-so-beneficial way. The first change that I noticed was after I had been here about 15 months. And what I did was I went home after about 15 months in the Philippines, and I had already just like gotten into a groove here in the Philippines. I'd never been here before. I showed up in July. I stayed an entire year. And then past July, I didn't go back home to California until oh about right about November and I I stayed through November December and then part of January uh there to spend spend time with my family back home in the United States and and I really did not see this coming it totally hit me like a ton of bricks in fact it it had such a profound impact on me that first trip back home after being gone for 15 months that I, I wrote a pretty lengthy article about it. I'll put a link here at the bottom of the page here at lifebeyondthesea.com. And it really, really did just hit me out of, out of left field. I, I was anticipating, I got on the plane and I rode back home and I, and I thought, well, you know, this will be great. I'm just going to see my family and everything will be cool and just like I left it. And it, it took maybe a day or two. Um, now, family and everything was great. You know, it was always, it was always you know, we have a very close, tight-knit family, and, and that part of it was good. And then after, oh, about a week or so, you know, we started going out. My boys and I, we love to go out and eat sushi. We love to eat anywhere, but, you know, we, we especially love sushi. And then I started going out on my own, and, and then I, I took one particular day where I went into Temecula Valley, which is where I spent a lot of my time. I lived in that whole area. Literally every city around there, from Murrieta, Sun City, Menifee, you name it. I've been all around that area. And there's a large shopping mall, so I went to the shopping mall, and it was like being in a dream. It was truly surreal. It was like I had never been there before. I was completely alien to everybody around me, and yet I'm there among other Americans. And everything that they were doing seemed so strange to me and I quickly noticed a couple of things 
One was that, for instance, when I'm walking in a mall in the Philippines, it really doesn't look all that different. I mean, you see more uh, stores for cell phones and a lot of Japanese and Chinese type products. But, you know, essentially a mall is a mall is a mall. They all pretty much, they're designed generally with the same objective in mind. But when I went back to the mall that I had been to literally for a decade, it was completely different because of the way the people were walking around. In in the Philippines, everybody's walking around just kind of minding their own business, same as in the United States. But I knew that in, in the Philippines, and I've done this many a time, is I, I could just walk up to literally the next person that passes me in two seconds. I could just walk up and stop them and say, hey, excuse me, can you tell me where such and such cell phone company is or tell me where I can pay my electric bill? Whatever it is, when I'm new to a, a new mall or whatever, I in the Philippines, you know, I'll stop them and, and, and it's instantly, it's just sort of, oh yeah, you know, it's very casual. It's like, oh, it's right here. A lot of times it's very, uh, very, they'll be very helpful. They'll even say, oh, you know, I can, I can walk you part of the way or whatever. I mean, very friendly people. And of course, you know, it's kind of obvious. I'm, I'm an, I'm a foreigner and, and, you know, so generally most, I would say 99.9% .9 of the people I've run into in the Philippines have been very friendly and outgoing when I've gotten lost driving, needed directions. Again, I've been invited into people's homes uh, who I was a total stranger. You know, next thing I know, they're handing me a plate and they're like, here, you know, grab some food and they're having a fiesta. And, you know, it's just a very friendly type of you. And even though you don't take advantage of that all the time, you're not always asking for directions or always going to a fiesta. You know that with time, after spending more than a year here, you just sort of take it for granted and know, okay, I'm surrounded by friendly people. That's just how it is, at least in the Philippines. Now, when I went back to the mall in Temecula, and this is no nothing particular Temecula, I believe the same thing would have happened had I gone to Long Beach or any other mall in the United States, is there's a whole different demeanor that we Americans have, and it has to do with our, our sense of privacy, and, and to maybe even another degree, our sense of distrust. So when I, I went through the mall, and, and another thing I, I'll do in the Philippines is, you know, you, you see somebody, you smile at them, whatever. And I, I was behaving the same way in the American mall that I was in the Philippine mall, and smiling at people, whatever. And they were just like, do I know you? Why are you smiling? They kind of look at me a second time like, no, I don't know that guy. And then they just make a point of leaving, you know, or just continuing on their way. And... It was this, it was like everybody, I had never noticed it before, having been in that environment my whole life, just how solitary and protective we are about our privacy, even when we're in a public place. Now, another thing I noticed was that in the, in the Philippine malls, you can just take out a camera, take a picture, your selfie, take a picture of your girlfriend. Uh, if you see like a mascot somewhere around, sometimes they have these animated, you know, mascots for promotional purposes. Or they'll even have promote, promo girls, uh, out there promoting a product. And they're usually tall and very pretty and dressed in little mini skirts and whatnot and high heels. And it's a very common thing in the Philippines. You really don't see that in American malls so much. You're not going to really see skimpy girls. and I mean, I'm sure maybe at a hot rod show, but not, not at the mall on a daily basis. And definitely you're not going to see them break into dance and do a whole choreographed routine. And so there in the United States, 
I remembered before I left that they had actually made a point in the newspaper of saying that you're just not allowed to take photographs inside a mall in the United States because people are very protective of their privacy and they're very suspicious. They're very, you know, uh, just sort of like distrusting of why are you taking pictures in, in the mall? Do you plan on blowing this place up? And, and the newspaper article had said there in this California newspaper, that essentially malls had the right as as they have they are a private enterprise you're on private property they have the right to set the policy of whether you can take photographs or have a camera out there in public on well actually you're not in public that was the whole thing it was not considered public area you weren't just walking down an easement or the, the sidewalk when you're in a mall. You're actually on private property. And for that reason, this news article had said that you couldn't take photographs just willy-nilly walking about the mall. And definitely you couldn't be taking pictures of pretty girls or anything like that. So the whole issue came up in that article because people... Again, just we as Westerners are very private people. We don't want people knowing our business. If we were at the mall, we don't want pictures that we were at the mall. Even if there's nothing wrong going on, we just don't want people knowing our business. It was it was kind of a shock. So I walked through the mall almost like a ghost. I felt like a ghost, like I was invisible. And I didn't relate to the scheduling. Everybody there was like on a schedule. You know, like even the students, they were there because they were after school or people were there uh, on their lunch break and they were going to head back to work or, you know, it's everybody there was on a schedule. Me, I had the whole day free. I had the whole week free. I had I had December and January free to just basically goof off. And everybody else, of course, is busy working and doing their thing. So. In a very impacting way, I, I just did not relate. There's this old phrase, you can never go back home. And and that's what it felt like, that in that just that one year or so that I was gone, it wasn't so much that my hometown changed. In fact, that was the surreal part of it all. Everything looked familiar, everything looked the same. But it wasn't the same. And it wasn't that it wasn't the same, it's that I was no longer the same. I had changed. What I look at and what I do and what I expect when I'm walking through a mall had completely changed. The way I interact with the public had completely changed. I got used to a whole different paradigm here in the Philippines, and then I went back home, and that paradigm just does not apply. So that's what that's what had happened, and, and it really just made me feel almost lost, like I couldn't find my place. And all I knew was, I'll feel better when I get on the plane and go back to the Philippines, because that's what I'm used to. So that's one thing that, that can, uh, can sort of affect you as you're, after you're gone for quite a while. Now, another aspect that I, I, again, I personally, and I'm not saying everybody, you know, goes through these things, I'm just sharing with you, and maybe you can relate or not. Another thing is, is your relationships with your family and your friends. Now, we're in a whole different age now. It's not like back in, say, 1940 when you went and lived abroad in the Philippines and basically your family never heard from you again. Maybe they got a weekly or a monthly letter that you put in the postal mail and and you sent them and possibly even a few photographs, but that's about all they ever heard from you. 
nowadays, of course, you know, we got the internet, we got YouTube, we got so many ways, Facebook, to stay in contact. You can even use uh, everything from WeChat and Viber and um, Snapchat, all these different apps so that you could Voxer. You can just basically walkie-talkie your family in an instant at the same exact moment. And what I found is that, again, now being here over four years, is that I do keep in touch with my family. Now, my mom, she's she's zero tech savvy. She doesn't use a computer. She doesn't even know how to program the microwave. And forget, you know, using the remote control for anything other than changing channels or, or the volume. So she's just not tech savvy, which is fine. She's a lovely woman anyway. But the thing is, so in order for me to stay in contact with her, uh, what I do is I set up a Google number when I was in the States, and now I use that Google number online to call her home phone, and it's considered a local call. That works for both uh, Canada and USA. So if you live in Canada or USA, that's one way to, to stay in touch by phone with any landline or any cell phone is by setting up a Google number. That's what I do with my mom. So I try to call her once a week and, uh, you know, more or less. Sometimes I call her twice a week. Sometimes I call her once every two weeks. But, it, you know, I try to keep in touch and, and that's the way we, we just sort of, you know, remain in contact. Now with my kids, what we did was we set up a, or I set up a private group. And the only people in that group is me and, and, and the kids. That's it. And, and so that way we can post stuff there and we don't have to sift through hundreds or in my case even thousands of other notifications from other people we can just go to that group and we can communicate openly one time post it and, and everybody in the family sees it now that that has helped and like i mentioned we tried using uh different voxer uh, and snapchat type of apps but but again you know they're they're younger and they like moving from app to app and so maybe they'll use this one a lot this year or they'll use that one a lot all of a sudden six months later you know they're they're kind of roaming about on the different types of apps they use the most um, so the apps have been only marginally successful as far as us keeping in contact facebook in general has been the best way now i'll say this my family, my kids and I were, were very close. And yet, even with the availability to keep in contact with Facebook and all that, the real time back and forth, like Skype sort of, uh, instances, we really don't do that that much. A lot of it is posting back and forth or private messages or in our group thing. You know, it's, it's, it's just kind of like evolved into that. Now, once I'm back physically in California and I'm with them, then it's all back to normal and, you know, we all shuck and jive and we're together and it's great, you know, it's great to be together. But when I'm away, it just sort of like, I don't know, and, and we've made different attempts to sort of increase the frequency. And But no matter what, just the being busy and apart does kind of take a toll. My one son is is studying his his doctorate in engineering for te uh, nanotechnology. My other son is working full time uh, with Pepsi with uh, you know to to care for his family. Uh, my other son has a, a thriving business, a moving business, and my daughter she's you know getting ready to have a baby and and so like they're all busy. I understand that they're adults and they're busy and all that. I guess the reason I mention this is because you will have to take some effort. You will have to take a little bit of effort, maybe even a lot of effort, maybe even like, because what I do sometimes is I put reminders on my Google uh, calendar, 
it just to send me a little ping and say, hey, you know, don't forget, you know, try to, you know, get in touch with, you know, whoever. And, and But it does take effort. You know, if you have no family back home, well, then it's a non-issue. But, or if you don't get along with them. But in, in if you want to stay and maintain contact with really your, your close friends that you've known since high school and you've known uh, close in your family and all that, just know that when you're living permanently abroad, it's going to take effort. Because most of your time, you're going to want to have conversations, even on Facebook, you're going to want to have conversations with the other expats who are going through the same daily things that you're going through. You have all that in common. You're all talking about whatever it is, the, the intense level or weirdness of traffic or the latest price of mangoes or what festival's coming to town this month. You know, I mean, you're, you're all focused on the same thing. So it's, it's easily to fall into that out of sight, out of mind headspace when it comes to your family and your close friends that are still back home. You're going to have to take some effort to maintain that communication. The other thing that the way that I've been affected with long-term stay out of my home country at the United States and living out abroad in the Philippines, the other way that really just completely changed my entire mind is on the issue of dating. Now, when I was in the United States, I pretty much, because, again, I won't go into the whole thing, but basically, the way it's set up, eh, United States, we're, we're still pretty much prudish, and we're not really as open-minded as we'd like to claim we are. We, we pretty much still believe, well, if you're, if you're 50 years old, you should only be dating someone maybe 45 or 55. But if you're dating someone who's 30, well, eyebrows are raised, and all of a sudden, that's a big issue. Uh, strangely enough, if you're dating, if you're a man dating another man or a woman dating another woman, that's okay. But if you're dating somebody that's more than 15 years younger than you, all of a sudden everybody comes unglued. But, um, living in the Philippines, it's norm. I mean, because that's how it is. It is normal. And it's not just, uh, foreigners. I mean, when you look really at history and you look at, uh, you know, the European countries, you look at uh, many other Latin countries, really, older men dating younger women, marrying younger women, is really how it's been done for centuries. Centuries. This is not some new fad just because guys are going to the Philippines. This is the way it really has been done for the longest time, even in the Old West. Men that were 25, 28 married 14-year-old girls. I mean, that was the normal thing. You know, a woman who was already 20 and not married in the Old West in the 1800s was considered approaching an old maid. So here, being in a foreign country where when it comes to my conversations, like, for instance, I've been in a relationship now coming up on two years with Lynn. We have a 30-year age difference, and to me it's completely invisible, and to her it's invisible. I mean, you know, I noticed it maybe the first two, three months, but after that, it's, it's, she's Lynn the person, Lynn the woman I love. She's, she's not 30 year younger girl. She's, she's my girlfriend. That's, it's, it's, we deal with each other as people, not as, oh, you're the younger person, I'm the older person. It, it's, it, like I said, it just disappears. It becomes invisible. It, it's like, it's like you don't relate to people based on their shoe size. And in the Philippines and in most other countries in the world, really, 
you don't really relate to each other based on age. It's a non-factor. It's a huge factor in the West. It's a huge factor in UK and, and Australia and Canada, United States. It's a huge factor there. Oh my God, you know, that guy, he's dating this girl and she's 20 years younger. Oh, how can, how could that be? But in the rest of the Asian country and a lot of Latin countries and even some of the European countries like France, it's really not a big deal. You know, you go to Italy, you see this all the time. So um, getting used, to, well, I won't say getting used to it. What happens is you, you, it becomes the new norm, and when you go back to the United States, you find that you just have no interest in the women your age. You, you really don't. Not, not as a dating prospect. I mean, if they're friends, they're friends. But you're not walking about town checking out women your own age anymore. At least I don't. I, I don't bother. You know, and and it's like I don't even bother really in thinking in a, a dating sense, period, because I don't want to get attached to anybody in the United States. I'm looking forward to getting on the plane and getting back to Southeast Asia. So I'm I'm really not even interested in talking to younger women in the United States because honestly, a 21 year old in the United States woman and a 21 year old woman in the Philippines are not the same thing. They're not even close. Not not even close. Their age is the same, and they're female. That's about it. They're completely different. I would never date a younger woman in the United States, even if society said it was fine. Their head's just not in the same place. Just I won't even spend time on that. But so, anyways, being living overseas, it really does change your whole mindset. When I'm in the Philippines and I'm single, if I'm not in a relationship and I'm just walking down the mall. If I see a girl and she's 20 years old, 22, 24, if she's, you know, attractive and seems single, I'll think nothing of just stopping and saying, hello, hey, how are you doing? Oh, what's your name? This and that. And we talk. And, and nine times out of ten, I'll end up having dinner with her. You know, and, and whereas that's just not how it's done in the United States or most of, uh, again, Canada, Australia, parts of the UK. So your, your, your whole approach to what is considered the new norm when you're in Southeast Asia is completely different when it comes to dating. And the usual knee-jerk reaction is, well, if it's different, it must be wrong because we're doing it right. So if we're doing same age and it's right in the United States, then what you're doing must be wrong because it's different. No, it's just different. It's not a difference between right and wrong. It's just different. That's it. I mean, the only time it becomes wrong is when the person is so young that they're under 18. Once they're under 18, well, then there's laws against that sort of thing. Then you can talk about how wrong it is. But if they're 18 and above, essentially, it's not an issue. I know that may be shocking to a lot of people who are back still, never traveled, never spent more than two weeks outside of their country, but... Believe me, it's a whole other norm. It's, it's, again, this is how it's been done for centuries. The one final thing that I'll touch on in the way that living abroad has affected me is less stress. I am, I, I am just so much more relaxed when I'm out here in Southeast Asia. I, I just am. I, and, and I've still yet to pin it down. I could probably say, well, the cost of living is lower. I spend more time with young people. 
I, I mean, I spent a lot of time with expats too, but pretty much if, if it's a woman, she's usually under 35. So, I mean, just, I could probably point out a lot of things. Like, for instance, there's a lot of greenery, there's a lot of trees, there's a lot of tropical beaches, there's a lot of recreational things to do. I could probably point at all these things, but when I went back to California, I asked myself, and I ask myself this every time I do visit, why can't I be as relaxed in California as I am in Southeast Asia, in, in the Philippines? Why? And I know one of the reasons is that the whole time I was an adult, you know, living in the United States, when I wake up in the morning in California, you know, in my old life, I guess you could call it, uh, when I was still living in the United States, when I woke up in the morning, my very first thought, when I opened my eyes in the morning, the first thought in my head was, I got to make $100 today. Because making $100 a day is what's going to keep your rent paid and your car registration and your car insurance and all the other bills that you got going from cell phone to groceries to everything. You know, it was like, bam, you're not even out of bed yet. And you're already stressing, okay, I got to go to work. I got to get there on time. I got to do this. I got to do that. And maybe it's a job I don't like and whatever. But that's how my day starts when I'm in California. And when I started my own business, and I ran that for, for quite a few years, for about five years, I basically did not have a day off. The only reason I got a day off was because no clients were scheduled that day. And that's not a good thing. So I guess that's one thing that I can look at is that, yeah, the, the lower cost of living, but it's not just that. It's something about being detached and distant from everything you've known, it either freaks you out because you take comfort in, in familiarity and you can't wait to get back to your home country, or in the case with most expats who stay living abroad, that whole distance and that detachment, you feel like you've escaped. You feel free. You feel free in a way that you've never felt free before. And again, you can't pin it down just to the money or just to the sweet women or just to the warm beaches, not even the umbrella drinks. I mean, something about the whole being free from that old life of toil that you've always known, that sense of feeling trapped, There's, it's, it's a hard thing to pin down, but it's there and it's real. And it's so real that so many men come out here for a vacation and they say to themselves, I'm going to go back, I'm going to sell everything I have, and I'm going to make it work. I'm going to, I'm going to find a way to live in a Southeast Asian country. And it's not just the Philippines. There's plenty of other places. There's Thailand, there's Vietnam, there's Cambodia, there's Malaysia, there's Singapore. There's so many places out here to, to, to have this sort of freedom. So I hope that just gives you something to think about. Um, again, my experiences are not everyone's experiences. Maybe you relate to this, maybe you don't. Maybe you were affected in a different way living long-term out as an expat. Uh, if you did, feel free to share those in the comments section. So I'll see you again later, and we'll talk about something else. See you then. Bye-bye.